In all of history, uh, Jesus is the defining man. Uh, from all the time before Jesus, history was looking forward to him. And since the life of, since Jesus walked this earth and died and rose again, uh, all of earth has been even counting time. Uh, we have B.C. and A.D. And I know they mean something else now besides what they meant when I was a kid. But uh, there is, when, we, when it comes to Jesus, there is no more a history-defining person who has ever walked this earth. There are more people uh, talk about Jesus, write books about Jesus, make art about Jesus, sing about Jesus than anything else or anyone else in all history. Uh, People on this earth follow Jesus. Huge numbers of people, currently and throughout all history. And so for some reason, there's been something about this apparent man, or if you read the Bible, this God in human form who was 100% God and 100% man, which is 100% impossible, (laughs) <laughs> which is why we assume he was God and math didn't apply to him. So you can try that if you're in class. Be like, this doesn't apply to me. But um, for some reason, Jesus defines who we are individually and who we are as a people, uh, just as, as people groups and as, as large numbers of people. It's in, the, in the very, very beginning... God makes everything. This is, how the, this is how the Bible begins. This is the very first verse in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and that's how the Bible begins. Uh, everything that you see, everything that you don't see, everything that you feel, everything that you think, all of that, at some point, didn't exist. And God creates all of these things. And that whole first chapter of of this book, Genesis, which is the beginnings of the Bible, this this whole first chapter talks about God making things. God making, you know, the earth, making the stars, making the sun, making the animals, making people. And in all of it, God keeps repeating himself that it's very, very good. That it's just fantastic. And, and because God is eternal and because he's all-powerful, it kind of creates a bit of irony in there because what do you compare it to, right? It's like, yeah, this is the best planet so far. <laughs> but because God makes this, it is as good as it possibly can be good. Do you hear that? At the beginning of everything, and God made people, they were as good as could possibly be good. The earth was as good as it possibly could be. Every day was like that first day of spring like without the yard work. <laughs> right? It was, there is this uh, wonderfulness to it. And the reason that it had this wonderfulness is because of the proximity or the, the withness of God to his creation. God makes creation and then he's actually with creation. See, you and I were actually created to be with God. That's the purpose and the point of life is relational in nature. This is why we like to be around people. Some of us, not as much as others, but, but we like people. We need social interaction because we're relational beings. And that relationality is the image of God that is put into us. Because God exists in relationship, 
the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, exists in this eternal relationship, and we exist in relationship because we're created in this image. Most of the time when we think about God, or we think about our relationship to God, we think in legal terms, right? We have more laws as a society than any society in history. Alright? There you go. Number one, America. More laws than anyone else in history. Uh, and so when we think about things, we think about them in, in lawyer terms. Uh, when, we, when we think about something, if somebody sins against God, it's a legal mindset that we have right away. And yet, when Adam and Eve, who God made in the garden, sinned for the first time, God's initial reaction to them wasn't a legal reaction. It was a relational reaction. God asked, where are you? What's going on? Why are you hiding from me? He didn't ask, what did you do wrong? Where's the statute that you broke? Now we're going to court and I'm going to sue you. (laughs) Which God would have won that case. (laughs) But... (laughs) In this original sin that Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, and and we don't have time for all that story. If you're you're into it, it's Genesis 1, 2, and 3, the very first three chapters of the whole Bible. But from that, all of us and all of creation exists in this kind of broken state. So the Bible actually says in the the book of Romans, the Bible says, I've got it on the screen here, it says uh, that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Anyone who says they've never sinned or never broken their relationship with God or with others is lying. We know this. It's in the Bible. That sentence is in the Bible. But we actually know this. Anyone who says, I've never done anything wrong, right, is either delusional or lying, (laughs) all right? The only person who ever lived who never sinned or never did anything wrong was Jesus. And so we all live in this Perpetual state of brokenness. And it's, we think, your first thought is, thinking about this, that we're broken from God in a legal st- standing. But God's first thought is that we're broken away from God in a relational way. If we were made to be with God, then at some point, every one of us chose our own way and not God's way. This is what sin is. And I know if you maybe you've been to church or, or when you were a kid or something and, and sin is something that you get yelled at about, right? Uh, or if you were just there when you were a kid, sin was that cookie you took, <laughs> right? Uh, if, you, if the last time you were in church was when you were five years old or something. Um, what sin is, is a breaking down of a relationship between us and God. Because if God created everything and everything was good, and he is with his creation, then sin is a separation from God. A taking away the withness, or our withness, uh, in our relationship to God. So when we have God's ways, as described in the Bible, and then we have, I have this other idea, and I think I'm pretty smart. I've been to university several times. Uh, then, <laughs> then we go with our own thing instead of going with the thing that is God teaches in his scriptures. Instead of following the ways and the life and the teachings of Jesus, I follow this thing that I think is a really grand idea. This is what sin is. Now, when we break that covenant relationship with God, 
what should happen, right? What should happen? If you imagine a relationship, two people are in a relationship and one of them sins against the other. The other intentionally destroys the relationship between the two people. The other person all of a sudden carries some rights socially that involve wrath, right? If you're really petty, you'll post something on Facebook about them. But it'll be like passive-aggressive, right? So you won't name them, but you'll be like, I sure hate people who do this, 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 and have brown hair and live down my street, <laughs> right? <laughs> but in, when you break a relationship, there's a person, the person who breaks that relationship now is at the mercy of the other. And God should, because he's so holy and he's so fiercely pure, and he's so just, he should just give us the punishment for sin. We had a relationship with the God who made everything. And we walked away from that thing. So that all of us live in this perpetual state of sin. Now God responds to this. And this becomes a very scary moment for us. I want you to see this verse, and this might be surprising for you, especially if you've been in church your whole life, because you think you probably have an image of God. This is Exodus thirty-four, fourteen. For you shall worship no other God. This is including worshiping yourself. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Have you ever heard God described as like a junior high girl before? <laughs> right? When you think of jealousy, you think that's a bad thing, right? I'm jealous of someone or you're jealous of me. We say that to condemn others. And yet in the Bible, God describes them. He actually says, you will worship no other God for the Lord whose actual name is jealous. And in the Hebrew culture where this was written, your name was the definer of your, of who, of your character. So that if you had a major crisis or a major transformation in your life, it was traditional, you would actually change your name. And this happened frequently enough, <laughs> where people would go through something huge and they would change their name. They would have this joyous life and their name would be happy, and then they would go through terrible circumstances and change their name to a word that meant bitter or sad. Or they would have a, a name that meant something tragic, and then their life would turn out great and they would actually change their name. Well, God introduces himself and says, don't worship other gods. Don't go a different direction because my name is jealous. The very character of God is jealousy. To which we think our under either God is a sinner or, which if he's a sinner, we have a problem, <laughs> or... We don't understand why he would describe himself this way. Because God's not jealous in a way that he's coveting what we have. Or not jealous in a way that he wishes he was, you know, as tall as me. Or as smart as you. <laughs> right? And God's not jealous of that. What God's jealous of is jealous of his own glory. He's jealous of his own creation. If we were made to be with God... And then we walked away from God. God's response to you is not anger, is not wrath, is not hate. God is fiercely jealous to have you back. 
or to have you in relationship with him for the very first time. When God thinks about you, he thinks in a relational way that he wants nothing more. He calls his name jealous because he is fiercely jealous for you. When God thinks about you, and when, if you're not in relationship with him, his thought about you is that he wants you back or wants you for the very first time. And so if God is this fiercely jealous for us, if God looks at us and is thinking in this intense desire for you, like God wants nothing more to be in relationship with you, it's this huge twist <laughs> because we thought God would be mad at us when we mess things up or we thought God would be mad at us because we're not perfect. But instead, God just kind of loves us more and loves us more and loves us more. And then we think, well, then we had better work really hard, right? Like we've got to earn God's trust back. We need to do the things that it takes to satisfy God's jealousy for us so we can get back in relationship with us. But in this wonderful moment, Jesus comes to earth. And Jesus, the Bible tells us in, in Romans 3.23, or sorry, this is in Romans 5.8, Jesus tells, uh, the Bible says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There are some churches you might go to. And there's kind of an unwritten thing that you kind of got to get your life together and then you can be a part of this church. It's the, nobody ever puts it on the sign, right? But it's like once you get your act together, you can be a part of this community, which is an unbiblical community. What the Bible describes is, while you were a complete wreck of a human being, while you were something that only your mother actually wanted back, Christ died for you. You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. And yet, God shows his love for us in this way. When Christ died on the cross a couple of thousand years ago, when he was buried in a tomb that was borrowed, he was so poor he couldn't afford his own tomb, but he, he kind of only needed a rental, so it was... <laughs> they didn't understand that at the time, but... So when Jesus is buried in this tomb and this stone is rolled in front, this is why we call it Good Friday because though it is a tragic event, it is an event of love. And if you think about this grand love story where this relationship is broke, this is every romantic movie that we watch. They're in relationship, one of them messes up, the other one works to recover that relationship. And in this grand movie, it actually cost Jesus his life. Jesus actually died for us, which creates this huge moment of love and tragedy at the same time. Where it's like, this is so wonderful, yet it's so terrible because of the great cost. And so on the third day, just as you think the movie's about to end, and really, all of Jesus' friends on earth thought the story was over. They were rolling the credits. They were moving on to something else. They were exiting the theater. They were actually going fishing. 
all of a sudden, something, the music turns back on, the scene starts to brighten up, and out walks the hero. Out walks Jesus. This is the, in, in Matthew 28, the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, which was written, uh, the Gospel means it's a story of Jesus' life. And Matthew ends in the 28th chapter. Listen to this, it'll be on your screen too. These women walk to the tomb where Jesus is, and the stone is rolled away, and the guards who were watching it are laying on the ground, passed out. And the angel said to the woman, passed out with fear, <laughs> and the angel who was there said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And so they come to see Jesus, and they come to put the end on the story. And Jesus has risen from the dead. This is such an amazing love story that nothing can actually keep the hero, Jesus, away from those he loves us, not even death. If death is the price that needs to be paid for us to have a relationship with God, then Jesus pays it. But even that price is not too high for Jesus because he rises from the dead and lives eternally. You see, there's this notion that it costs this huge amount because of how we've broken the, our relationship with God. How we've broken down our actual created purpose to be in life, to live life with God. And in this, Jesus enters and pays that price, which is this joyous but tragic moment at the same time. And his resurrection takes all of the tragedy out of the whole story. So that the women walk in and see where Jesus was laying. There was rumors that this might happen, but nobody really believed it. The reason that the guards were posted was so that nobody would steal Jesus' body to feed into the rumors. Which is kind of funny. They were bodyguards for a dead guy. <laughs> which I would assume that they weren't the best soldiers in the troop. <laughs> and so they're they walk in and Jesus and his body is not stolen because the scriptures tell us his grave clothes were actually laying there. The things they wrapped him in were actually laying there. And if you're going to steal a body you don't undress it first. Right? You've never stolen a body. Some of you. But uh, <laughs> you can just trust those who did laugh at that. You don't. <laughs> so when Jesus walks out of the tomb. He takes the story and puts it back to where the story is meant to be. He puts everything. He begins the work of the redemption of the world in a whole new way. Because life with God is now possible. Life with God is a now reality. Some people think that someday we'll go to heaven. And someday we'll be with God. And what Jesus says is not, hey, someday. What Jesus says is God is willing to come to you. So that the message of Jesus isn't work harder so you can be more like God. It's God did all of the work to be more like you. You carry enough value 
just in being a creation of God, enough value that God was willing to sacrifice his own son to be close to you. And there's nothing, no distance, no height, no time, no depth, <laughs> nothing that can separate, not even death, that can separate you from God in Jesus. See, the Bible continues. And in this book written by a guy named Paul, it's in the scriptures, is a letter to the people who lived in Rome, the Christians who lived in Rome. And in chapter 10 it says this, there's two verses I put together. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In this relationship, if you are broken in your relationship with God, the Bible says that everyone who calls on him won't be put to the shame that that brokenness actually deserves. If you've ever seen or been in a relationship where you've committed an offense, even something minor, you've offended a friend, there's a certain amount of shame that you feel in that. And going back and apologizing and going back and actually repenting of what, how you hurt this other person in our relationship with God, those who call on Him actually are free from their shame. So that in Jesus, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation, there's no wrath and anger and hate from God towards those who turn to Him. Who re We use a word, repent, which means to turn, notice which way you're going, to actually recognize that that way is away from God. And, and the word repent actually means to like turn around. Like a 180 go back towards the ways and the teachings of Jesus. Go back towards life with God. See, life with Jesus, which you were designed for, is a life of freedom. It's a wide open life of open spaces. It's a life of hope and peace and love where there is no shame, where there is no condemnation, where there is joy, where there is happiness, and where you were meant to live. On Easter, on the day we remember Christ's actual resurrection, which seals the deal, which means you don't have to do all the work that you thought you have to do to rebuild your relationship with God because God did the work. God holds out this free gift that he calls grace, that he calls forgiveness. And when the Bible says we call on the name of the Lord, it actually means we call on him. We pray to him. And we seek his forgiveness for living life our own way. For going our own direction. And maybe you've never thought about doing something like that. Maybe this is a part of your regular pattern in your relationship with God. But no matter where you are right now, you are the smallest of steps away from God. Because, not because you need to go and seek God and find Him, but because God spends His day seeking you.
Does God spend his life jealous for you? And so maybe you've never had a conversation with God. Maybe you've never even thought that he would want to have a conversation with you. And the message of Easter is that he wants you so badly that he was willing to pay the ultimate price of laying down his own life for you. And we receive this free gift of God's grace not because of something we've done or something we've earned. Through a simple prayer, through a simple change in our life, to stop living on our own and putting our trust in ourselves and putting our actual trust in Jesus, to following his ways and his teachings, to living in the power of his spirit, to being a person in relationship with God. I want to pray for us. And maybe you've never, ever even thought about having a relationship with God before. And I'm going to pray, and if you want to pray alongside or with this prayer, um, I'll kind of guide you in that. And then we'll all pray together, and then we'll sing. But if you've never made that decision, and you want to make that decision, you want to change your life, and no one has ever told you that God loves you exactly the way you are, we want you to know that today. And we want you to know that God is jealous for you. Let me pray for us. Our God, we seek you humbly because we don't deserve it. And yet boldly because you have paid such a high price for us. And in this room, there are many of us who maybe have never thought about you actually wanting to be in relationship with us. You actually wanting to speak to us. Because God, there are some of us who have these long lists of our failures, of our sins, of our offenses. Stuff, God, that if we told the people around us, they probably wouldn't want to have a friendship with us, let alone you want to be in relationship with us. In Jesus, we thank you that we can receive forgiveness. That we can walk with you. That as you are jealous for us, you chase us and you pursue us and you love us. God, for those of us who've never turned to you before, we say that we're sorry for living life our own way. We pray that you would forgive us and we receive your forgiveness because we know that it's real and it's true. And then we pray that you would empower us, that your spirit would fill us and allow us to live a life after you, starting today, that today would be that day. Jesus, we pray this for your glory not for ourselves, because you are jealous for us and even while we don't deserve it while the Bible would use the words of while we are yet sinners you die for us and so with that humility we come to you and with that humility we pray that you would continue to work in us and through us and draw us to your son in your name we pray